right, we'll wrap up our Diving Deeper Into Worship series tonight. Next Sunday night, we're going to start diving deeper into the Word, and we'll go through some passages of Scripture together uh, throughout the month of July and then into the middle of August. So there'll be some more folks joining us in here on Sunday nights because the Diving Deeper Into Experiencing God wraps up tonight as well. So next week, bring some of your friends, invite folks to come for Diving Deeper Into the Word. But tonight, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 150. Psalm chapter 150. We've been going through uh, different chapters of the book of Psalms. And tonight, we're going to wrap up our study with the very last chapter of the book. Psalm chapter 150. And uh, as we get there, just let me remind you that worship is all about declaring God worthy. He is worthy of absolutely everything that anybody and everybody and every creature can give to Him. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be honored and glorified. He's worthy to be sung to. He's worthy to be prayed to. He is worthy of everything, worthy of our very lives. And Psalm chapter 150 is really the capstone of all of the admonitions throughout the book of Psalms. In fact, before we read through these six verses together, I want you to notice the one three-word command that is given at the beginning and the end of this psalm. In Hebrew, it's actually one word, but our English translations say this, Praise the Lord. It's a command. It's an imperative. Praise the Lord. It starts the psalm and it ends the psalm. In Hebrew, it's the word hallelujah. Anybody ever heard that one before? All right. Anybody ever sing this song when you were younger in children's church or at church camp? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right, we got some people that know how it works. So let's, let's try this. I know we're diving deeper into worship, and this might be kind of shallow to some of you, but trust me, we'll go deeper with this. All right, so when I went to church camp or when I was in children's church and we sang this, we would have either the boys or the girls you know, do parts, or we'd split the, the group in half. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do this. We'll have a few more praise ye the lords than hallelujahs, but it'll be okay. Everybody on this side over here, so Trevor in this way, we're going to do the hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah part, right? And then everybody, Miss Gloria, in this way, you guys are going to do the praise ye the Lord part. And whoever says it louder gets more points. The points never added up to anything in children's church, but you got them, all right? So let's try this together. And you do have to stand if you're able to when you, when you sing it. That's, that's part of it. So are you ready? Hallelujah. They were louder. Let's try it again. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> All right, it's getting better. Here we go. And then it goes like this. You guys remember? All right, thank you. If anybody does not know what just happened, it's okay. It's okay. All right. So uh, some of you are very familiar with that. You've sung it. You've heard it. You've all participated now, whether you wanted to or not, right? You got to hear it. So some of you are familiar with that. Some of you aren't. That's fine. But what that song was teaching us to do as children was to not be embarrassed about lifting up the name of the Lord when we sung to him in worship. 
And it was really an exercise that I'm sure annoyed our children's church leaders. When I was growing up at North Hills Baptist Church, we had a guy named Mr. Jackie and his wife Anita, and then a guy named Mr. Jerry, and his wife was Merle, the pianist. So we'd have somebody in there with us, whoever Merle could rope into helping him, until Merle had played the piano and she could slip away out of the worship service. But both of those families would teach us that song. We sang it very often. And we were as loud as we could possibly be, especially when it was guys versus girls. The guys usually lost because the girls just have that high pitch. Woo, that hurts. So when we talk about praising the Lord, when we talk about worshiping the Lord, I want you to have in mind the idea of with everything you have in your being, crying out and declaring him worthy. And even though that's a children's song, it's taught to little ones in churches the idea of shouting God's praise as loud as possible with genuine faith in your heart is the idea of true worship. Now, Psalm chapter 150 gives this command to praise the Lord, but it also helps us understand what praising the Lord means. So let's read these verses together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So if the Lord is worthy of our worship... And we are to praise Him. What does it mean to praise the Lord? The Lord alone is God and He should be praised. And this psalm teaches us what praise is all about. In verse 1, right after the command to praise the Lord, we see where the Lord should be praised. We see where the Lord should be praised. It says, praise God in His sanctuary and praise Him in His mighty expanse. So there's two locations that are given. The first is his sanctuary, and the second is his mighty expanse. This is where the Lord should be praised. When you hear the word sanctuary, what do you think of? Church? Good. I do too. I think of not, not just church, but I think of a part of the church building like this. In fact, I call this place the sanctuary. Some people call it the worship center. Some people call it an auditorium. Some people just call it the big church, right? But whatever you think of, when you, come, when, you, when you start to think of the word sanctuary, you have in your mind an idea of a place where God's name is to be lifted up. In fact, the word sanctuary doesn't necessarily refer to a building or to a part of a building like this. We call this the sanctuary, but sanctuary is really any sanctified space. It's the space that God occupies, and so when we think of sanctuary, we might think of a church building like this. I'm sure the Jews, when they heard the word sanctuary, probably thought of the temple or the tabernacle, the place where God chose to dwell among his people. But this word for sanctuary in Hebrew is used a few other times in the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 73, verse 17, and Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, it refers to the eternal abode of the righteous. All right, so in other words, another place for heaven. But it really emphasizes this is the reward for those who are righteous in God's eyes. This is where they live, where they dwell, and where they long to be in God's presence for eternity. Uh, 
the sanctuary also refers to the holy way of the Lord. In Psalm chapter 77, verse 13, we see that it's not just the destination for people who are righteous, but in other words, the only way to heaven is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate reward of heaven is being in the presence of God, being in the presence of His Son, Jesus. And the only way we get there is through walking with Him on a daily basis. We trust Him, have faith in Him, and that begins our relationship and our discipleship journey into glory. So sanctuary also refers to the holy way of the Lord. And then sanctuary also uh, refers to the heavenly realm where God dwells and reigns. That is, He is the one seated upon His throne and His heavenly courtroom filled with angelic beings singing His praise and declaring His worth and honor and glory. This is the heavenly realm. Psalm chapter 102 verse uh, 19 describes that idea of sanctuary. So God should be praised in His sanctuary. And we think about that and we see that throughout the Old Testament and even in the New, don't we? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and there were angels around him. And what were they doing? They were praising him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Uh, Over in Revelation chapter 4, John has a vision of the end times. And just before his vision of the end times, he has this vision of the Lord himself seated upon the throne. And in this vision... What are the angelic beings, these four living creatures, doing? They're singing praises to His name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, um, who who existed before all things, and by His will everything existed and was created. So these people, these angelic beings, um, these four living creatures are singing His praises in heaven. And this is really the ultimate sanctuary of God. In fact, we've taught before along our uh, deeper in worship study the last few weeks about how this room right here and these Sunday night and Sunday morning worship gatherings are really a picture of the ultimate worship service that awaits us in eternity. When people are gathered around the throne of God singing praise to Him and giving Him their all, their everything. But not only is God praised in His sanctuary, He's also praised in His mighty expanse. His mighty expanse. This is that old, good King James word, firmament. Right? So if you remember the Bible stories from when you were younger um, about the creation account when God separated the waters above from the waters that were below and he called this expanse between them the firmament. Right? It was this idea, idea of a space, a sky. And it says that God is to be praised in his mighty expanse. Over in Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist talks about how God is praised in sky and in space. Listen to these words. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. But their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So when's the last time you saw the sun rise up in the morning and heard it say to you, Good morning, God is real. 
probably haven't had that experience before. The sun doesn't talk. If the sun talks, we might need to talk later, all right? You know, when's the last time you were out in, at nighttime and you looked up into the heavens, especially on one of these back gravel roads in Lawrence County, and there's no lights around at all, and you just kind of stop or start to slow down, and you cut off the headlights in your car, and you peer out the window, and there's stars everywhere. When's the last time the star said, good night, God's real and he loves you? They don't talk. But yet, when we see the sun, when we see the moon, we see the stars in the sky, we remember that there is a God who is real, and He put them there by His great power and His outstretched arm. And even though they don't cry out with a voice, per se, they do tell of the glory of God. When you look up into the sky at daytime or at nighttime, you realize just how small you are. And you realize how great and awesome is the Lord. And throughout the sky and throughout space, the Lord is honored and glorified. He is praised for who He is. This is why He placed all of those elements are to declare His glory. So what we see is the Lord should be praised in heaven. There the angels praise Him along with the redeemed of all the ages. The Lord should be praised in the sky and in space. The sun, the moon, and stars declare His glory since He's the one who put them there. This is where the Lord should be praised. Then in verse 2, it doesn't just talk about where the Lord should be praised. It also talks about why the Lord should be praised. Verse 2 says, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. This is why God is worthy of worship. Two ideas here. One, for his mighty deeds, and two, according to his excellent greatness. This might seem like the same thing, and there is some parallelism going on here in this psalm and and throughout the book of Psalms, but really there's a subtle difference between his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. The mighty deeds of God refers to his conduct, his actions. And the excellent greatness of God refers to his character. That is, his attributes, his nature, who he is. So the Lord should be praised for what he does and also for who he is. In his actions, he shows himself great, that he is able to do anything. In his attributes, he shows himself as good, willing to do anything. The Lord is both great and good. I taught you a children's song already. Can I teach you a children's prayer? You guys probably know this one. God is, and God is, let us thank him for our food. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's how we did it growing up, right? But even in that little simple prayer, we see what people are trying to teach children. That God is great, he is strong enough and powerful enough to do anything, and that he is good. That is his character, his nature is righteous, he is holy. God should be praised for what he does and for who he is. So think with me about an Old Testament story. In fact, throughout the book of Psalms, this event is recorded numerous times. And this is probably one of those stories you also heard in children's church or in Sunday school. There was a people by the name of the Hebrews. They were enslaved in the land of Egypt. God helped to bring his people to freedom through ten plagues. And then they got to 
a point where they could not go any further. They were leaving the land of Egypt. The army of Egypt had decided to pursue them under Pharaoh's orders. And so the army of Egypt was right behind them and right in front of them was this big body of water called the Red Sea. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. What did God do? You guys remember this story? He parted the Red Sea, split the waters in, in two. The children of Israel walked across on dry ground. When the armies of Egypt came into the parted waters of the Red Sea, God closed the waters back over the top of them, and the whole army drowned, and God kept his people safe. There, in this story, we see both what God does and who he is. He set his people free. And he parted the Red Sea. He is great in his actions, right? He is able to take his people from the most powerful king of the most powerful empire in the world at the time and set them free. He is able to split a body of water in two so that his people are brought to safety. He's great in his actions. But we also see his character in these actions and in this story as well. He chose to honor his covenant that he had made with the forefather of this Hebrew people, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he brought this people out of slavery in Egypt as a just God to fulfill his promise and as a merciful God, hearing the cries of his people who were tired of being hurt and, and in pain and suffering. And we also see his graciousness in watching over them. We see his righteousness and his justice in the swallowing up of their enemies, the Egyptians. We see both what God does and who he is, his conduct and his character. Now I want you to think about the New Testament example, the ult ultimate example of why the Lord should be praised. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved. That's his character, that's who he is. He is love, but his character is not empty. In other words, his character brought him to the point where he made a choice and committed to action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God's character is love. His conduct is generosity. He gave his son. This is why God should be praised, for his mighty deeds and for his excellent greatness. And then verses 3 through 5 talk about how the Lord should be praised. So we see where the Lord should be praised in his sanctuary and in his mighty expanse. We see why the Lord should be praised for his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. But then we see how the Lord should be praised in verses 3 through 5. You notice a bunch of instruments listed there, and in the middle of it there's dancing. We don't do a whole lot of that in Baptist churches, but Vacation Bible School for one week makes up for all of that, right? So nobody laughed, by the way. Nobody likes dancing in Baptist churches, do they? Um, so here's, here's what we got to think about. Praise Him with trumpet sound, harp and lyre, timbrel and dancing, stringed instruments, pipe, loud cymbals, resounding cymbals, all kinds of things listed there. When... Uh, when Edie or Trevor picks up the drumsticks over there and starts to bang away on the drums and hits the cymbals, they do that to praise the Lord. When Nick or Joseph or Tate or somebody else, we got a bunch of them now, picks up one of the guitars and starts to strum, 
they're praising the Lord. When somebody picks up the bass guitar and starts to pick and pluck, they're praising the Lord. Somebody sits down at the piano and plays and presses the keys to strike the strings inside. They are praising the Lord, right? With all of these instruments, people are to praise the Lord. It's almost like the psalmist is saying we could get every instrument ever known to man involved in this process and we still would not be giving God all the praise and worship and honor and glory that he is due. There's a commercial that's on TV right now and it's a Geico commercial, I think. And uh, it's kind of weird. There's a person playing a didgeridoo and a person playing a harp, and a person playing a sitar. Has anybody seen this? And they, they, they're following this person around, and it's just strange to hear all of those instruments playing a song in unison. It sounds, anybody know what a didgeridoo is? It's a big, huge, long, stick-looking thing. It's hollow. It's an uh, instrument native to Australia, and you blow in it, and it makes this... That's not good, is it? I can't do it. Anyway, it makes this really weird sound. And then you've got the harp, right? You know, the big, huge thing. I can't do that either. People pluck those strings, and it sounds good. And then the sitar is that weird Indian instrument, you know? And, uh, and, and so when all these instruments are playing together, you're like, what? At the end of the commercial, the lady says, let's play rock music. And so they start to play rock music on these instruments, and it is one of the coolest sounding things I've ever heard in my life. I'd never heard it before, right? And so when the psalmist talks about using all of these instruments to praise and to worship the Lord, he's saying whatever you pick up with your hands and whatever you choose to play, play it in praise to the Lord. How should the Lord be praised? with everything conceivable, with everything imaginable, with everything possible. Now, all of these instruments that are listed here were common methods and means of attributing worship to God in this day and time. Let me just go back and think about this morning when we came to worship service in here in the sanctuary. You heard music played by our praise team, drums and guitar, voices singing, piano going, and then we also heard voices singing out together, didn't we? And we also heard music played without anybody singing. We sang hymns. We sang contemporary music. And in all of it, we were describing, giving God the worship that he was due. Noise and movement are signs of life. God is alive and he has made living beings to worship him audibly and visibly. I mean, just at our house, it's kind of crazy sometimes. We've got four, four kids. The oldest is eight, and the youngest just turned one. And so it's loud. It's noisy. And it's really busy. There's people moving through rooms, and people knocking stuff over, and people making messes. But all of those things are signs of life. When we come in to God's presence to praise Him, there ought to be signs of life. God is alive. He's a living God. He's made living beings to worship Him audibly and visibly. He ought to see us give Him praise. He ought to hear us give Him praise. Where should the Lord be praised? 
in his sanctuary and in his mighty expanse. Why should the Lord be praised for his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness? How should the Lord be praised? With everything, with noise and movement. We are living beings who worship a living God. Which brings us to the fourth idea that's presented here in Psalm chapter 150. And that's who should praise the Lord. Verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so you, you stop and think about this for a moment. God is in his sanctuary and he's praised there, praised in his mighty expanse. The sun, the moon, and the stars praise him. But do those things have a breath in them? Not really. They shine, they glow. You could even, I guess, make the argument that the sun is alive because it produces light and heat and all of those things. But what about the things that have breath? The things that have breath. The things that God actually breathed the breath of life into. Over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read in the creation account that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it's at that point that man became a living being. You see, God formed everything. He created it all. The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the dry land. He created the birds in the heavens and the fish in the seas and the beasts on the earth and the creepy crawlies that crawl on the earth. He made all of it. But when it came to making mankind, woman and man, in his own image and in his own likeness, he formed them out of the dust of the ground but then he did something special. He breathed into them the breath of life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, Psalm 150 says. God has given us breath so that with our breath we can praise him. In fact, did you know that every time you sing and open up your mouth, you have to be breathing in order to sing and to praise him out loud? There's no way that you can do it otherwise. In order to praise Him, you must breathe. And really, the only way to praise Him is with the breath that He's given us. You have to breathe to do pretty much everything, don't you? I mean, just even Olympic swimmers, did you, they breathe the whole time they're swimming? I mean, sometimes people stick their face in the water and just do this. But if you'll notice, Olympic swimmers turn their heads in and out of the water so that they can breathe as they're going through because their body has to have enough energy to make it through the race that they're participating in. God has given us breath so that we can live. And as we go about living and breathing with our breath and with our life, we should be praising Him for who He is and for what He's done. We should be the ones who are praising the Lord. This is really the ultimate call of the book of Psalms. It's not just that the sun, the moon, and the stars would declare His glory in the heavens or that the angels would be worshiping Him around His heavenly throne. It's not just that people should read about what God has done in the past or who He is and His holy character from words on a page. It's not just that instruments themselves make noises. It's that it takes people to play those instruments and it takes people to move about and dance 
everything that has breath should be praising the Lord. That's our call to worship. The mountains bow down in the presence of God. The valleys rise up in His honor. The oceans roar of His goodness, and even the trees lift their branches in worship. But the question is not, what does creation do? The question is, what will we as His special creatures do? What will we as a new creation in Christ give to the Lord? It ought to be our breath, our very life. Everything that has breath should praise the Lord. We pick up instruments and play them and give Him honor and glory. We lift up our voices in song and declare Him worthy of worship. We recount the good things that He has done for us and we talk about His greatness. As these sounds move through the air and sky and in space, Ultimately, we gather together around God's throne in heaven, in His holy sanctuary, worshiping Him forever. Everything that has breath praises the Lord. We're going to close tonight with singing a a song that's very simple, lyrically, but it really is the heart of Psalm chapter 150. It's a song that was written by a man named Matt Redman years ago. And the song is called, Let Everything That Has Breath. It's a call to worship and a call to praise God for who He is and for what He's done. It's really a time when God's people are understanding their privilege and their responsibilities as His creatures and declaring Him to be the one who is worthy of worship. So here's what I want you to do is... Nick's about to lead us. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take one big deep breath in and hold on to it. And I want you to let it go. You know that God gave you life. That he put breath in your lungs so that you could tell him how great and awesome he is. So that you could talk about his greatness and goodness to others so that you could sing of his greatness and goodness as you worship him would you take just a minute before we sing to tell God thank you for giving you breath and then tell God that with every breath you breathe for the rest of your life you want to praise him